you for listening to this message from the North Gate. In a like crazy swirl here, um, I believe since Bryn Waddell came, it has just sent us on a trajectory as a family that is like, wow, wow, God, you're so good and so faithful in all that you do. And uh, so, man, as we kind of head direction of all that the Lord is doing, one of the things that was said over me is that my confidence would come back. And so in that, being a coach and being a pastor and uh, the many different hats I play, you know, as a dad, as a husband and a, a preacher and all these different things, I'm, I'm totally with people all the time. All the time, I'm with people, but I'm not just with people. I'm with people in whatever we're doing together. And so whether that is my marriage, whether that is my family, whether that is this church, whether that is the school district, whatever we're doing together, God has been able to place me into people's lives to pull the best out of them. And in doing that, man, when you begin to pull the best out of people, there's three things that I've taught over the last several weeks that comes to that. One, you want to guard people. Betrayal becomes a nasty thing. When somebody's doing something good or something extravagant and something different. And that's the way you need to hear this. Doing something different. When we do things all the time the same, we get caught in our methods and our ways. And we become common and familiar to our way of life. And in our common and familiar way of life, we sit and we dream. Everybody in here looks at your everyday life. Everybody in here. You look at your job, you look at your family, you look at your house, you look at your car, you look at your city, you look at your school, you look at all these different things and there's something inside of you. Something inside of you always says, I want more. Something inside of you says, I long to believe there's more than just this. When you look at your life that you live every single day, you say there's got to be more to this. I've said it. I've said it to my wife. I've said it to my kids. I've said it to some of you that are very close to me. I look at you and say, this can't be it. This can't be it. This can't be the finish line. This can't be what it is. This can't be the fullest of my potential. This can't be the fullest of your potential. This can't be where it all stops. This can't be where it ends. This cannot be the finish line for me. And I just settle right here and coast through life till I meet Jesus in the sweet by and by when my God promised me heaven on earth. And heaven on earth for you is what you sit and think about on a daily basis. And don't allow that to become an idol, that it becomes an icon, that it becomes an idolatry of you striving to achieve something that will never satisfy you. There's a place on earth as it is in heaven that we call the sweet spot in the goodness of God that you just say, it just keeps getting better. His goodness is here. I can see it all around me. I'm thankful for what I have and he surprises me tomorrow. I'm thankful for what I have and he surprises me tomorrow rather than I strive for tomorrow. And so in that, that's a warfare mentality versus an inheritance mentality. A warfare mentality means I train, I strive, 
the sweat of my brow. And there's nothing wrong with hard work. I teach my children hard work. I love that some of you teach my children hard work. But you have to begin to hear me. There is a place in the inheritance of God that where the, listen, the literally the reaping overtakes the sowing, where he wants to bless you so abundantly. He, he pictured it in the Bible as a cup overflowing. Have you ever been around something that you're like, I just can't shut this off? You ever been around that? You panic. You panic. For me, it was in my basement one time. Literally, the hose from upstairs just pops down, and what? And I'm on the phone. What happens when overflow comes? You can't keep it to yourself. I couldn't keep it to myself. I'm calling Nietzsche. I'm calling Joey Mitchell. I'm calling whoever I can. I'm sending it out to the Suns text. I've got overflow everywhere. Help me. But what happens when it's overflow? Look at this. See, there's something about overflow that it causes a reaction in you that you couldn't believe that this is happening. And God doesn't want you to live in a life of an SOS call that the overflows are just when it's bad. He wants to bless you so much that you can't contain it in any imagination of your life, period. He wants to bless you beyond your imagination. And most of the time when we walk with God, we only think the overflow comes in bad things. But he wants to promise us that they come in good things. How do I tap into that? How do I tap into the blessings of God to the inheritance that it overflows and overwhelms me that he's good? And I quit getting overwhelmed and shook to the core. Help, help, help. How many of us have come to a place in your life where you almost quit because you're tired of yelling, help, help, help. And I've taught here for the last several months out of Corinthians, what? Even though you look like a common jar of clay, inside you is a great treasure. And the great treasure in you has to come out. So this is what Paul says in Ephesians. God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask and think. And he'll do it through you. This happened to me when Trenton got in here. Trenton began to speak on youth night the other night and he began to talk about miracles and he talked about God can do anything abundantly. God wants you to walk in authority, but he wants you to walk in confidence of who you are. That's what came out of a 15 year old young man. Coming out of him is abundance, authority, all comes out of you, but there's one condition, you can't quit. Even though you look like a common jar of clay, there's a treasure inside you and there's one clause. No matter what comes at you, you can't quit. No matter what comes at you, you can't let it break you when you know who your God is. It's gonna come, it's gonna be hard, but it's in that moment, he will not put anything more on you than you can bear and he'll make a way of escape for you, but you just have to call out to him. You have to still realize that he's in control. I didn't train for this, I didn't work for this, I can't earn this. It's in the goodness of God that God wants you to wake up tomorrow and say, hey, gifts and surprises, hey, a bonus, hey, a raise, hey, a new job hey an idea for a witty invention hey your marriage hey your finances God wants you to be overwhelmed with his goodness watch this no matter what anybody thinks about you no matter what anybody thinks about you no matter what anybody thinks about you 
So man, Trent began to say this and I began to write down some things. And the next thing that Trent began to say is he began to tell the youth your dynasty. My mind begins to go directly to football. 49ers were a dynasty. The Patriots were a dynasty. The Steel the Steelers are a dynasty. The 1946 Browns were a dynasty. <laughs> uh, if you're going to go into the past, I'm going into the past. <laughs> uh, but listen to me. I begin to think about dynasty and literally Trenton began to talk about dynasty and I begin to think about the one thing I began to think about dynasty was the Patriots. And how did this begin to happen? It began, it began to happen when a seventh round draft picked common guy, common jar of clay named Tom Brady got a chance. He got a chance. Drew Bledsoe was the superstar that was making all kinds of money. He didn't do anything wrong. He just got injured. And in the moment that he got hurt, I'm going to throw something. Your pain, mom and dad, might be the baton. Come on, what they've heard you say about your finances, what they've heard you say about the marriage, what they've heard you say about addiction, what they've heard you say about depression, what they've heard you, your pain might be the indicator that a no-name generation of a seventh round that did not have the look, did not have the ability, did not have seventh round Tom Brady, not a first rounder, not a second rounder, not a third rounder, a seventh rounder out of Michigan. Michigan. At Ohio State. Ohio State didn't even think he was worthy. Michigan. Can't believe I'm saying it with an M. But isn't it crazy? In one moment of somebody's pain, a baton's passed to someone that the world couldn't see them correctly. Welcome to David and Goliath. A nation, now we're not talking about a parent or an individual, now we're talking about a nation's pain. A nation's pain. And when God anointed him, all the brothers were lined up. They looked the part. They acted the part. No, David was a seventh round pick. David didn't have the look. David didn't have the abilities. David didn't have the training. I'm telling you, you got to stop. I didn't go to Bible college. My granddaddy wasn't a preacher. I'm telling you, God is about to raise up prophets and he's raising up Elijah's and John the Baptist and Ezra's and Nehemiah's and Mary's and Esther's. Come on, he's raising up Deborah's in an hour where it's not what you look like. It's who you were designed to be. Ephesians 3.20, put it up on the screen for me. It's you. You're the treasure. Every bit of it is you. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works where? Works where? Works where? What's really in you? What's really in you? And all you're looking for is a moment. What is this moment? 
is that to take a giant's head off, that was not David's moment. David's moment was when a prophet said, do you have any more sons? And he said, I have one more son. The announcement of sonship is your moment to become everything that God has designed you to be. It's not in your ability. It's in who you are. It was in that his name was David. Quit looking at what you can do and can't do. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And if some of you don't feel great, it's because you don't know who you are. And tonight, God's wanting to identify you as a son. It started off, David and Goliath started off with what? A prophet looking for a son. And then I'm going to read to you at the very end. Guess what they were looking for after he took a giant's head off? Who is your dad? Whose son are you? This whole thing has always been about sonship, and we preached it about ability and gifting. This thing will always be about your identity. And what gets trapped in your identity is the voices that are in your head. Because literally a prophet says you're going to be a king. Literally a prophet told David he is going to be a king. Others said, who are you? A prophet said you're going to be a king. Others said, who do you think you are? A prophet said you're going to be a king. Others said, who do you think? A prophet has said that you're going to make witty inventions. Others have said, who do you think you are? People have said you're going to be a millionaire. Others say, who do you think you are? I'm asking, whose word do you believe? Turn with me to 1 Samuel. If you have your Bible, if not, turn your phone on. Starting in verse three. The Philistines stood up, and the word Philistine means uh, people of war. That's literally what their name is. So tonight, some of you are gonna put your sword and shield down. Because the voice of war has mocked you long enough. And what's the war? It's the same war that John said, or James said in James chapter 4. Why do you war with on the inside of you? Come on, when Corinthians said on the inside of you is treasure, then James says, why are you fighting over who you are? Why are you fighting over your treasure? Your treasure is yours and can't nobody take it from you. Why are you fighting over your treasure? Why do you keep arguing with nonsense? Uh, you have no ability. You have no count. You can't be a part of this. Why are you believing somebody else's word over you rather than the word that God said that you are? Yes. Tonight is about the word. That's why I love when Sissy got in that flow talking about all his promises are yes and amen. There's no way in heaven this thing's going to end the way it's, you think it's going. There's no way. Because why? Exceedingly and abundantly comes from what? What you talk about and what you think about. What you ask. And you know what that is about? Oh, you better quit asking who you are. That's not what that meant. Quit asking God, who am I? He already told you who you are. You need to start believing him. Now you know what you need to ask him? What do you want to do, Lord? What do you want to do tomorrow? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You want to change the world? Let's change the world. You want to pray over somebody at work? Let's pray over somebody at work. You want to bless somebody in the, in the food line? Let's bless somebody in the food line. Come on, you want me to call and repent to a family member? Let's call and repent to a family What do you want to do today? 
God will do exceedingly abundantly above what you ask and quit asking who you are because who you are is abundance. Who you are is more than you think you are. Who you are is more. I love how Coach Thompson says it like this to the football players. You're never as good as you think you are, but you're never as bad as you think you are either. Come on. Come on. You're never as bad as you think you are. You're never as bad as you think you are. Watch this. You're never as annoying as you think you are. You're never as stupid as you think you are. Come, come, let, let this stir up on the inside of you. There's more to you. And tonight we're going to unravel it through the word of God because there was more to David. There was more to the sonship. There was more to the beloved identity. And I'm tired of hearing war declare who I am. I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of you're not good enough. I'm tired of that being the say over your life. The Philistine. And I love how Apostle teaches this and I'm going to pull a little piece of what he teaches in here because this will make sense and we need to be reminded of things. So in verse three, it says this, the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the other side of the mountain. So on one side of the mountain stood what? The Israelites, which is your family and your promise. The promise in your family, in your name stands on one side. And the warfare of who you are and what's blocking your family stands on the other side. And you know what I love what David does? David doesn't pick a side. He gets in the middle. He, I'm done just being potential. Do you know where you go from potential to purpose? When you quit standing on the sidelines with all the people that are trained to stand there and look intimidating. And David says, I'm authentic. Authenticity is what wins the war, not training. Come on, somebody. The willingness to stand up for who he was, not what he was trained for. He stood up for who he was, who his God is, and who his family is, is what brought forth the greatest victory. Somebody better hear me. It's time for you to stand up for what you believe in, who you believe in, what you think you are, what you believe you are. That's why you have to understand the treasure. So I love this. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. They would say that six cubits is about nine feet. Goliath stood about nine feet, okay? which means in this room, he would hit his head, okay? So in this, Goliath stood about nine feet. This is, what, this is where apostles' teaching comes in great right here, and I'm gonna refresh us on this, and it's been a while since the Carolinas. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shielded barrier went before him and he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a people of war, a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, 
Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down here. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, he will be your servant. This is what he begins to declare. You're either going to begin to serve Saul and serve the God of Israel, or you're going to serve the taunting voice of familiar war the rest of your life. You're either going to serve my voice, which is a taunting voice telling you you're not good enough, telling you you're not who you're supposed to be. Y'all checking this out? So in this, he's telling them, you are going to serve one or the other. You're going to serve one or the other. Can you flip to verse 38 very fast? Can you do that quickly? Can you scroll down and click to verse 38? Watch this. So when Saul clothed David with his armor, he put on him a bronze helmet on his head. Let's go back over to what Goliath had on. Goliath had a bronze helmet on his head. He was clothed in a coat of mail. So literally, apostle taught us, you want to catch yourself in the prison of not being good enough? Quit clothing yourself like your enemy. Which means how much do you look like the world that you're actually trying to survive from? When you wake up, oh, somebody better hear me. When you wake up every day, do you look like the glory of God shining in love and mercy and hope in all of its splendor? Or you do look like despair? Do you look like you've been through war? Do you, anybody ever say to you, man, brother, you just look like you've been through hell. Yeah, because Goliath keeps telling you that you have no count. And the only way you can think you can fight Goliath is to look like Goliath. And I don't need to fight Goliath looking like Goliath because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through the pulling down of strongholds to the very point of my imagination. And I, in my imagination, greater is he that is in me than anything that's in the world. You got to start believing you're great. And when you get up in the morning and you put your shirt on and you put your clothes on and you put your makeup on, you better see a son and daughter of the Most High God. Not depression, not fear, not insecurity. I'm not good enough. We're not good enough. The family's not good enough. Because if that's the armor that Saul was wearing, then that means all of the children of Israel were wearing the same armor. They were wearing shiny helmets and a coat of mail. And to be honestly, the children of promise and the children of the war of the world looked exactly the same. And all of a sudden, some little shepherd boy says, I'm not looking like either one of you. Generation, you better hear me. Somebody's going to have to raise up in your generation and say, I'm not looking like this anymore. Some families are going to have to rise up and say, I ain't doing it no more. I am not going to fall to your system anymore. I'm not going to say, because listen, how do they infect you? The same way BBB talked about this week. How, how, How do they try to get you over the flu? They infect you with a little bit of the flu. So how do they try to get you adapted to the culture? They just keep injecting a little bit at a time, a little bit in a movie, a little bit in a song, a little bit in a comic strip, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, till you begin to come in agreement and laugh about it. And then what you're laughing at actually taunts you. What you're laughing at actually taunts you. What you're laughing at actually taunts you. What you laugh at, you start being depressed about. What you laughed at, you start looking in the mirror and start hating yourself and stop believing in yourself and you believe you'll never be anything more and you start surviving rather than living. 
You start surviving week to week, paycheck to paycheck. How do I know they were surviving? Because for 40 days, for 40 days, go to verse 16. No, 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 no. Go back to verse eight. Go to verse eight. I hate to be jumping around like this, but y'all got me? Then Goliath stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to the line up for battle? Am I not a people of war? Come on. And you, the servants of Saul, choose for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and I kill him, then you will be servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man. You know what's funny? God likes to take the foolish things to shame the wise. Whatever, oh, I'm gonna throw something. Can I, can I throw something? Quit giving Goliath what he wants. He said, give me a man to fight. God said, I'll give you a boy. Yeah. Quit getting duped in the accusation if you want to fight me, then give me this. Quit giving him what he wants. Quit, dress, quit dressing the way he tells you to dress. Quit listening to what he tells you to listen to. Oh, quit hanging out with what you're supposed Somebody hear me. Oh, you're saying no vows. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, there's some things that are telling you you're not good enough and it's time to separate from what's telling me I'm not good enough and it's time for me to get around a prophet Samuel. It's time for me to get around the presence of God and when the world says I'm not good enough, the prophet will say, give me the one that worships in the field. Give me that one. Goliath wanted a man. But instead, he got a 14-year-old boy. I think religion's crying out, give me the next Billy Graham. I was going, I'm going to give you these teenagers. You know what we got to do, mom and dad? Quit putting a Saul's helmet on them, which is actually Goliath's helmet. Quit putting a coat of mail on them, and it's time to mantle them like Joseph with a coat of colors. Quit putting warfare armor on them and put love on them. Put beloved on them. Put honor on them. The co- Nobody had the coat! Except for priests and kings. That royal tunic was only supposed to be. <laughs> Give me a man to fight. Lord said, no, I'll take the foolish things to shame the wise. I'll send a shepherd boy. But not just any shepherd boy. Not just any shepherd boy. I'll send you the anointed one. See, what we don't realize about when the prophet poured oil over a 14-year-old, he just didn't pour a little bit on his forehead like we did. They poured oil on David. If I was to go get my hat of how Bren anointed me, any, oh. oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. 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 You know why people don't want to get around the anointing? You know why people don't want to get around the anointing? You know why they don't want to touch it? 
It's still got oil. It's still got oil. It's still got oil. Come on, it's still, it's still soaking wet. It's still soaking wet. And so you know what happened with David? It, oil was down in his feet, everywhere that he walked, everywhere that he went. There's something different about this boy. See, one of my sons didn't realize you can't take the anointing and put something regular around it because when the anointing touches, it starts transforming like the anointing. My sons put my head on this anointed head and this head has to start transforming like this hat. So let me put Saul's armor on you because that armor is the armor of a king that we wanted, that we could control, that we could demand. Don't you get that anointing around here that will change everything that I think. Don't get me around the anointing because the anointing won't let me stay the way I want to stay. Because anybody that got around David... Guess what was going to happen? You're either going to see a king or you're going to get offended over a little boy. So when you get around the anointing, you're either going to join the winning team or you're going to get offended. When you get around an anointed man or woman of God, you're either going to begin to start looking a little bit like them or you're going to get offended by them because they're going to start changing the way you think. They're going to start changing the way you act. They're going to start changing the way you talk. And they're not going to do it because they're telling you to do it. You're just going to do it because the anointing is changing you. Give me a man. God said, no, I'll send an anointed 14-year-old young man to take your lying mouth out. See, you think whatever is hindering your cycles is some big Goliath. And you know what's going to shut your Goliath up? You just being a son. Because you know what he does? He starts requiring things to fight. He starts requiring you to come into war. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and Israel heard these two words of the Philistine, they were dismayed, watch, and they were in great fear. They were in great fear. They were in great fear. Go to verse 16. Why were they in great fear? They were in great fear because, and the Philistine drew near and presented himself the same way for 40 days, both morning and night. Why did fear become present? Because you let Goliath interrupt your devotion. Why did he come in the morning and come at the night? Because the custom of those Israelis was when the sun comes up, you're to get on your face before the Lord and you're supposed to give thanks for what you have and you're supposed to honor that this is the day the Lord has made and I'm gonna rejoice and be glad in this day and I'm thankful for where I'm at and I'm thankful for what you're blessing me with and they start having conversations, a Zadok conversation with Abba and all of a sudden Goliath starts saying, hey, Hey, I thought we were here to fight. Why don't you tell Goliath, shut up, I'm not here to fight, I'm here to pray. Because all of those that had interrupted devotion couldn't stand up to Goliath. But the little servant in the field that all he wanted to do was serve 10 sheep and worship, he had the answer for war. And it was a love relationship the whole time. 
It was a love relationship. What are you allowing to interfere with your daily devotion? And I'm not telling you you got to do it in the morning when the sun comes up, and I'm not saying you got to do it when the sun goes down. I'm just telling you this is a great picture of why none of those boys would get up and go fight Goliath because they didn't think God had their back because a lack of devotion will always promote fear. And where fear is present, the best is yet to come doesn't even exist in your imagination. So for 40 days, because of the mocking voice of Goliath, we let the mocking voice of you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not trained enough, you don't have enough. For 40, can you imagine? Not for a month, literally for a month and a half. For a month and a half, we allowed a mocking voice. Some of you have went longer than a month and a half. Some of you have went a year. Some of you have went two years. Some of you have went 10 years. Some of you have went 20 years. Some of you have went a lifetime. Letting the mocking voice tell you, you will never see victory. And you want to know what's going to get you close to victory? Get around a prophet that'll pour oil on you and tell you you're a king. Tell you you're amazing. Tell you you're more than what you are. You're not just a shepherd boy. You're not just the least of your family. You are appointed by God for a time such as this. Are you anointed and appointed or are you frustrated? If you're frustrated, then this is what I would tell you. Don't act like me. Don't act like Mike. Don't act like Apostle D. Don't act like Ed. Don't act like Mikey. Don't act like Mama T. Number one, quit using our names in your homes. You need to be like Papa Jimmy. Quit putting my armor on someone else because I don't even wear armor and if you're going to put something on your husband put my robe on him put Joseph's cloak on him words of honor words of affirmation not words of you're not good enough not words that you can't get out of this not words that you can't step up that's what Goliath kept telling why don't one of you men step up to the plate why don't one of you men step up and be the man of your family why don't one of you men step up and be the man of a nation why don't one of you men step up and nobody stepped up and there ain't nobody stepped up with that language ever But if you encourage somebody, and here come David. How did David even get to Goliath? He was serving his brother's lunch. Isn't it funny that God, when you're anointed and you're encouraged, God will just set you up? Here he's honoring his dad, takes a sack lunch, takes lunch down to his brothers. His brothers are like, what are you doing here? I'm just paraphrasing. Shorten up the sermon because I read slow. And I'm going to try to prove to Lita that I can get out of here before 8.30. She said, you just lied in the pulpit. 7.43. If you stay at 8.30, it's because the Holy Ghost is moving. So he brings a sack lunch. He brings a sack lunch to serve his brothers because he's not a trained warrior. He's a loving servant. He's not a trained warrior. He's a serving son that's honorable and obeys his earthly father. Wasn't the heavenly father that told him to go take a lunch? It's just all in that verse. You can go read it for yourself. 
His father says, your brothers are at war. Why don't you go take them some food from the family? They show up. And literally the same thing with Mary with the alabaster box starts happening. Betrayal starts happening. Criticism starts happening. All these things start happening. And while everybody is trying to be Goliath to David, while everybody, all the trained soldiers of the family are being Goliath to David, the loudmouth Goliath stands up and starts running his mouth. And somebody who's bathed in beloved identity says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is defying our God? Because devotion hadn't been interrupted by David. David's devotion wasn't interrupted. What are you about to cut the head off of in your family name when you stop letting your devotion be interrupted by you're not good enough? I'll tell you what head you're going to cut off. God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly about what you talk about, whether that's positive or negative. What you ask, what you talk about, and then what you think about all the time. And he said, you know how I'm going to change that? I'm going to actually do it through you. I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to do it through you. And the key to your victory is literally just undivided devotion how much is a generation being plagued by literally the world's clothing trends styles my tell you got to be i'm not saying you got to be in church i'm saying what when you look in the mirror is goliathing you that listen if we don't deal with now in a place of devotion and beloved identity come on 30 and 40 and 50 year olds Come on, 30, 40, and 50-year-olds. Come on, 30, 40, and 50-year-olds. It's time for us, mom and dad, to start looking at what is mocking our kids and saying, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's an end of that. I, I'm not going to be baptized in anybody's emotions. That's enough. That's enough. Beloved, you're beloved. You're beloved. I'm gonna let those people talk to you like that. I'm not, you're beloved. I believe in you. I believe in you. And then how do you do that, adults? By you getting around some people that say, I believe in the real you. I believe in the real. Get surrounded by people that's, and then get in the secret place with Abba who starts telling you, I believe in you. And there ain't no way in heaven this thing's gonna turn out the way you think or the way somebody else said it's gonna turn out. David is literally feeding his brothers. He goes down, and as he feeds his brothers, put up verse 26. David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done? For the man who kills this Philistine takes away the reproach for Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him, in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. So what is going to be done? Now Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger, his criticism, arose to his brother. And he said to him, why did you even come down here? The man was bringing you food, knucklehead. Unless you want to eat military slop the rest of your life, he brought some of mama's bread, punk. 
But didn't you see his insecurity rise up? Because when you're not able to do something, instead of letting a brother grab a hold of you and pick you up, you then start criticizing the one that's actually going to do something with what's been paralyzing you. Watch what you say about your brothers. Now, Eliab, the oldest brother, heard David speak to the men, and Eliab's anger, actually his insecurity, rose up against David, and he said, why did you come here? And with whom have you left a few sheep in the wilderness? I now, I now your pride and insolence of your heart, for you have come down here to see the battle. Go to verse 29. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? See what happens when there's no insecurity? His brothers tried to punk him out and he said, what have I done? What have I, is there not a cause here? You're talking about a few sheep? You're talking about a few sheep? Everybody's like, man, I wish David was my pastor. No, you don't. Because David would be handling bigger issues than chasing those that went into the wilderness. Because in the story of Luke 15, where did the, the sheep that ran away from the open field go? They went to the wilderness. So David, David wasn't talking about the sheep photo of his, his father, Jesse. He wasn't talking about all the sheep. In the, he talking about a few sheep that might go in the wilderness that us as a good shepherd can go get. A few sheep. Is there not a cause here? Is there not something that is paralyzing our entire family? You're talking about chasing a few people. I'm talking about a prayer meeting. You're talking about chasing a few people. Somebody better hear me. You're talking about dealing with some people's insecurities. He's sitting there looking at his insecure brother going, what are you talking about? Our whole nation is at stake here. And you're talking about a few sheep? You're talking about your widow feelings, Eliab? You're talking about the little 14-year-old little brother that's looking at the trained soldier with a bronze helmet and a coat of mail, and here's a little shepherd boy punking a trained soldier. What are you talking about? Sheep? What happens if you start addressing offense and insecurity like that? We're talking about what? We're talking about what? Go to the next verse. Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. So David just didn't start punking his brothers. He started punking everybody. What's going on here? Are we going to stand back and do nothing? How can a 14-year-old who is probably with 20 and maybe 30-year-olds start looking at them going, Dude, these guys are doing. These guys are doing this. You're not a prayer meeting. Why? You're not a prayer meeting. Why? Because it's 530 in the morning? Because the football game's on? Because what? And then you want to complain about my generation? You want to complain about how lazy we are? You want to complain about our work ethic? I'm asking you, what's your cause? Because our friends are killing themselves and our friends are struggling with identity and our friends are cutting themselves and our friends don't know who God is and our whole generation. 
doesn't know who God is and a Goliath is staring at them with abortion and homosexuality and pornography and suicide and anxiety and fear and depression. You're the untrained Davids. And if we don't watch it, people on the live stream, we're getting critical of the. You ain't got to go to the church and pray all the time. They're done listening to Goliath's mouth. They've not come accustomed to it. They've not come accustomed to it. They've not come accustomed to it yet. Many of us have come accustomed to the I'm not good enough. And so we settled for 40 hour a week jobs. We settle for one vacation a year. We, we settle, we settle, we settle rather than be reformers and revolutionaries. Come on, adults, hear me in the room. I'm telling you, these kids are starting to believe they are revolutionaries. I need you to believe and lead them that you're a revolutionary too. I need you to believe that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you too. Go to verse 31. Now, when the words which David spoke, we heard, they reported them back to Saul. So David, David's a little hothead. His older brother stood up. He punked him. Then another dude said something, and he punked him. Then another dude said something, and he punked him. Then another dude said something, and then he punked him. He wouldn't shut up. Y'all are trained? Y'all been in the church how long? Y'all been doing this for how long? How long y'all been doing this? And nobody wants to go step up? Nobody wants... You know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The boy's confidence. Oh, listen to what I just said. Why did he have confidence? Because he knew he was loved. The boy's confidence got to the king. And the king said... Who is this? They take David to him. It's just a boy. He says, son, the only way that you can win is for me to put my armor on your head and on your back. And I bet you David said, I can't move with this. I can't move with this. I can't walk with my father with this. This is not who I am. This is, somebody's put some words on you. Adults, listen to me. I ain't preaching to the kids right now. I'm preaching to you adults. You've let people put words on you that has been somebody else's armor, been somebody else's way to serve the Lord, been somebody else's way to handle money, been somebody, you've put, you have allowed, you know what they call them, and I hate calling them this, you've allowed generational curses to be on your head and on your back, and it becomes a weight. It becomes a weight on your mind and stress on your body. It's all, so I'm gonna throw something. I'm a soldier. You believe it's the only way to do things. You believe it's the only way to do things. You believe it's the only way to do things. And Goliath is taunting you in your beloved identity. You can't win. You can't win. This is the way it's supposed to be. You're always gonna be dysfunctional with money, you're always gonna be unhealthy. You're always going to be bitter. And a teenager said, not the God that I learned about, not in the one in the, in the pasture. That's not the one. 
I don't know what God he's talking about that y'all don't care, but the one he's talking about, I'll give my life for. And I'm not going to do it like y'all. I'm not going to do it Sunday morning, 10 a.m. the rest of my life. Maybe come on a Wednesday if I want to and never have prayer meetings. I ain't doing it like that. I ain't doing it like that. He's too good to me. I'm going to have prayer in my home. I'm going to have prayer in my church. I'm going to have prayer in my football team. I'm going to have prayer wherever. I'm going to have prayer. I'm going to have prayer. I'm going to pray. I'm going to love. I'm going to honor. Y'all getting this? Y'all getting this? Y'all getting this? So let's go back to verse 38. So Saul clothed him with David's armor. Saul clothed David with his armor and put on a bronze helmet on his head and also clothed him with a cloak of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk. What are we trying to get restored? The walk, the walk that Adam had. We're trying to get that restored. Why can't we walk? Because of the weight of how to fix situations is too much. Let God handle it his way. Listen to me. Some of you that are frustrated right now, quit doing it your way with armor and a sword and let God walk you through this. Let God do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask and think. Let God take control. Amen? I tried to walk, for he had not tested the walk. David just says, I can't walk. I can't walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took off Saul's armor. Then he took off his staff in his hand, and he chose for him five smooth stones. I used to love how the old preachers would say this. And David went down to the creek, and he grabbed five stones. He grabbed one for the J, one for the E, one for the S, one for the U, and one for the S. And he put Jesus on his side. I just want to know what letter did he pull out and kill Goliath with? Was it the J? Was it the E? Was it the S? The U or the S? I don't know. (laughs) I still love it though. I still love it. Oh, come on. I still love it. I still love old preaching. I still love it. (laughs) He chose five stones from the brook. And he put them in the shepherd's bag in a pouch. He put them in a shepherd's bag. He put them in a shepherd's bag. He didn't come dealing with warfare. He came dealing with the protector of family. He put it in a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. He drew near to Goliath, the mocker. You're not good enough. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. Listen to this. Somebody had to carry his shield. Somebody had to carry his sword. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. Watch this. Why did he sustain him? Because he was only a youth and he was ruddy and he was good looking. Why did Goliath get frustrated? Because that's not what he asked for. Oh, some of you keep trying to fight this with exactly what the enemy wants you to fight this with. He finally, now now what's been mocking him got frustrated because I told you to bring me a man and you brought me a boy. You gotta quit doing things the same way all the time. 
Change it up in the morning. Change it up. Or should I say this? I'm going to step into the spirit of the Lord. Shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Tomorrow, nobody's going to school. Nobody's going to work. What are we doing? We're going to get up in the morning and pray. We're going to get up in the morning and worship. And it, Goliath's going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. What about your money? What about your house payment? What about your insurance? What about your food? God will take care of me. Shut your mouth. If I put God first, he'll fight my battles. I don't even have to worry about you. Some of you need to shake it up. Arguing arguing about it ain't going to fix it. Complaining about it ain't going to fix it. Getting in his presence is going to fix it. Like David with the harp in the field. Get in the field. Get in the posture of worship. Shut the whole thing down. Listen, shut the whole thing down. Shut it down. If it takes two days, shut it down. But the truancy officer will call. I don't care if they're your kids. Are they your kids or the government's? How much more you want injected with? Are they your kids or the government's? How much more do you want injected with? They'll give you that little phone call. Your kids ain't been in school for two weeks. Tell them what we've been doing. We've been praying and seeking God so that peace and hope and honor rest on our family. You can mind your business, school Goliath. You can mind your business. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and I don't abide by your rules. Did I mean get in dishonor? That ain't what I'm saying. So I'm saying, I'm saying you're promised a level of peace, a level of inheritance in your home. And if it ain't there, shut it down. Shut it all down. Will God not take care of you? So get it right tomorrow. Get it right tomorrow. What's getting it right? Getting in his presence. Get in his presence. Cry and weep. Hold your spouse till that love rekindles on the day you said I do. Uproot divorce out of your family name. Uproot dishonor and dysfunction and bitterness and gossip. Uproot it out of your house. With what? The love of God for him and one another. Y'all tracking with me? Man. So he's mad. You come at me with a youth? You come at me with a boy, it's not what I asked for. So the Philistines said to David, am I a dog? Because that's what will happen. When you start changing up the program, it'll start criticizing you even more. What's familiar to you that's been mocking you will try to criticize you more. But David wasn't familiar to it. So when it's, because listen, how did he mock it before? You'll serve me, you'll do this. So he changed his criticism up. He changed his criticism of, oh, you're just a boy. You're a dog. You're going to come at me with sticks? David said, I don't identify as a dog. I don't identify as a dog. I don't identify as a cat. I don't identify with what you want me to identify with. I identify with how God made me. Come on, somebody. Quit letting a government and a left wing identify your kids. Stop it. All it is is Goliath running his mouth. You a dog? You a dog that she's going to fetch sticks? The Philistine cursed David by the gods that he serves. 
And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds. This is what I love. Because the whole time they were trying to get David to fight Goliath like Goliath. Watch. There's only one thing David uses here in a second. And it was the slander that Goliath tried to hit David with. David hits him right back with it. It's time that you start giving it right back to the accuser that's telling you you got no value. And you start telling them how much value you got. He said, boy, he said, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the host, of the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied and dishonored. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines, the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth and the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So you know what happens next. He kills a giant, watch this, with something that his family, I believe, had never seen kill something before. And so I guarantee his brothers were sharp with a sword, sharp with a javelin, and I bet you they encountered bears and encountered lions while tending sheep, but they killed them with swords and javelins. And nobody wanted to believe that David could kill somebody with his authenticity, a sling and a stone. He kills, watch this, he kills Goliath with a stone. The only place that was not covered was what? Right here. Right here. You know what that signifies to me? It's time that you start taking your enemies out in the thought process. Right here. Quit giving them a thought so that they become a word. Stop giving them a thought so they become a word. Stop giving them a thought so they become a word. He kills Goliath. This is what I love next. Go with me to verse, did I tell you what verse? Did I tell you to go with me to verse 54? I said this to our wrestling coach the other day. He said, man, he said, Jimbo, how are you a preacher? I said, what do you mean, Mark? You just, you don't remind me of a preacher. I said, Mark, have you read the Bible? So I dabbled in it a little bit. You got no Skenesny. I dabbled in it a little bit. He's country as all get out. Awesome, awesome blue collar man. And I said, have you ever read the story of David and Goliath? Because this is where I was at right now. He said, yeah, of course I know the story of David and Goliath. He said, my God. Boy beats a giant. Awesome. I said, yeah, but do you know that in the Bible it says that he took that man's sword that had to be yielded by two men and a 14-year-old boy in his identity had a supernatural strength that two men could not yield. You start walking in your identity, you'll start carrying a sword of victory that nobody thought you could carry. 
And verse 54 says this, And David took the head of Goliath and brought the head from the hill of Golgotha all the way down to Jerusalem and held Goliath's head in his hand. You know what this is a mixture of? God doesn't want you to just be anointed by prophets, but he wants you to be covered in covenant blood as well. So this is the first picture that we see of Jesus' victory on Golgotha Hill because it was prophesied. It's not just up to be prophecy. Listen, do you understand that when Adam committed sin in the garden and God told him that by the foot of your wife, what you birth will bruise the head of the serpent that took the walk from me? Guess where that head got buried? He goes back from Jerusalem, buries the head of Goliath in a hill called Golgotha. Goliath of Gath. And it was on Golgotha's hill that from Eve came the seed that would bruise the heel of the serpent that all victory would come from what we thought we lost in the garden would be restored. That's why Adam said on Golgotha Hill, I can't walk like this. I can't walk like this. I got to walk in authenticity. I can't walk like this. I can't walk like this. So don't tell me that this plaza and Streetsboro is not important because listen, at some point, we're going to bury the head of the Goliaths of the nation in this Golgotha Hill and we're going to have victory right here in the crown of Gulliver in Northern Ohio. The next verses after 54, go to 55. And Saul saw David going out against the Philistines and said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, who's the son of this youth? Whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king inquired, whose son? This young man is, whose son is this young man who is his father who is his family who is this son and the whole thing started with David and Goliath when a son got called out that's it that's it so now we don't have to cut the heads off giants anymore we don't have to do that I don't have to get in hand to hand combat David didn't even get in hand-to-hand combat. He threw an aerial assault. The apostle believes, and I believe this too, when David said that I come to you in the name of the Lord, I think he'd have won with Saul's armor. I think he'd have won with his bare hands. You know why? Because he knew what he was fighting for. Do you really believe in some of the stuff you're fighting for? Do you really believe in some of the stuff you're trying to justify? How many of us are trying to justify Saul's helmet and Saul's coat of mail knowing that you're called to wear a robe called Beloved Armin? You can go on up. 8-11. If you're here past 8-30, it's because you answered the altar call. So everybody close your eyes. Lead to lift your hands. (laughs) 
why, do I, why would I make a joke right there in such a serious moment? Because some of you are taking Goliath too serious. Some of you are taking your struggles too serious. And that's hard to hear from a pastor. But I'm telling you, man, if you would connect yourself to a Samuel the way David did, and you would lock yourself away in devotion, in the secret place with God, a spiritual father, that's who, that's who Samuel was. A spiritual father will tell you who you are. When watch this, even when sometimes your own biological family can't tell you are. See, preachers don't preach on this a lot. But David was one of the only red-haired, freckle-faced Jewish boys I know. I think Mark Casto talks about it that when you begin to look through the misfits that become kings in his book, he talks about that how David, I believe, had a Midianite background. Moabite, sorry, a Moabite background. That the way that David was described how he looked, he looked just like a Moabite. I believe that literally Jesse's mistake became a family salvation. Sometimes you're beating yourself up for the mistakes you've made up to this point and we tried to hide them we try to hide them. David always got the low end of the stick. Oh, he's the little brother. Why don't you look at the little brother in the story of Jacob? He didn't get the short end of the stick. He got a coat of many colors. Do you know who he got the short end of the stick from? From his brothers. Because they couldn't see him rightly. And I believe there were some times that Jesse struggled looking at David he saw the full bloodedness of his other sons and when Israel needed a king they didn't need a half breed they definitely didn't need him to be a mistake God wants to take some of your biggest mistakes and what the enemy intended for evil God wants to turn it for good so where you think you're failing and I know what Jesse probably thought when the prophet goes, you have one more son, don't you? And he didn't know. The Spirit of God knew. Yeah, I have one more. Where is he? He's out in the field tending the sheep. But the prophetic word told you to bring all your sons. Somebody needs to hear me on this. The prophetic word is you were told to bring everything. You're to open up about everything. And you're keeping that one little mistake hidden. Because if they find out about that, God's saying, no, I'm actually going to anoint that mistake. I'm actually going to anoint that screw up. And that screw up will not just be the redemption of your family name. That'll be the legacy of your kids, kids, kids. And the Messiah of a nation of the earth will be birthed out of that mistake. And when I build a tabernacle to sit in for all of eternity, it's not the tabernacle of Moses. 
And it's not the temple of Solomon. It's the tabernacle of David. The mistake. Because there was one thing about that mistake. When he would screw up, he would come to God with his whole heart. And he would say, give me clean hands. Give me a pure heart. I don't want to give my soul to another. I just want to worship you. Because no matter what David did, as a murderer, as a liar, as an adulterer, he knew how to worship. He knew how to worship. He knew how to get in the presence of God. You know what this ultimately tells me? This is not by your works. This is not by your acts. This is by your heart. It's by worship. And tonight is not about a salvation call. Tonight is about when you wake up and look in the mirror in the morning, what do you think? Do you see a world changer? Do you see a giant slayer of your family? What do you see? Because I come in this building and I don't see trash. I see the crown of Gulliver. I see the crown of a nation wanting to rise up and declare the goodness of the Lord. And I've been in your prayer meetings and I've been in your worship services. And I'm here to tell you there's more. And stop letting I'm not good enough mess with your devotion. Thank you for listening to this message from the North Beat. If you would like to donate to this ministry, please go to www.thenorthgateoh.com and click on the link at the bottom of the homepage.